one of my classes in Bible college, I read a book by a fellow named David F. Wells. And the book title was God in the Wasteland. And the book was a good book. It was pretty challenging. But there was one statement in particular in the book that has always stuck with me. It was just burned into my mind. And Dr. Wells said, it is one of the defining marks of our time that God is now weightless. Now, I do not mean that by this that He is ethereal, but rather He has become unimportant. He rests on the world so inconsequentially as not to be noticeable. And that would seem like a, a harsh statement to make if the world around us did not consistently reveal and demonstrate the accuracy of the statement. While the number of Americans who classify themselves as atheists is growing, a large portion of America would still claim to believe in God. And out of those who would claim to believe in God, a significant portion of them would claim to believe in the God of the Bible. Many of them would go so far as to classify themselves as people who have been born again. And despite these claims, the vast majority of the people, according to Wells, consider God less interesting than the television, His commands less authoritative than their appetites for affluence and influence, His judgment no more awe-inspiring than that of the evening news, and His truth less compelling than the advertiser's sweet fog of flattery and lies. This, he concludes, is weightlessness. Dr. Wells convincingly argues one of the reasons God has become weightless in our culture is because we have caged or we have tamed God. And he gives several characteristics of this caged or tamed God. The tamed God is a God who exists to meet our needs instead of our existing to serve Him. Now think how... Few people who profess to believe in God see Him as the sovereign ruler over their universe, over their universe, to whom they must surrender their rights and their lives and their beings in order to serve. Another characteristic of this tamed God is He is a God who can become indebted to us instead of the holy God in whom we have all sinned and have and His every act of kindness toward us is mercy and grace, but never merit. We see this in, particularly in people who go through difficult times in their lives. People go through a difficult time in their life and they get mad at God because they have kept their end of the bargain. Right? They were moral. They went to church. They gave some. They didn't cuss the big cussing out in public. And then, yet, God let bad things happen in their life. God failed them. Right? In their understanding of life, if they are moral and if they give a nod to God, then what God owes them is a problem-free life and a life without hardship. And when that doesn't happen, they're angry at God because God has let them down. Another characteristic of the tame God is that He is a God who exists to help us in our time of need, but, but make no inconvenient demands in our lives. Right? We see this in those who, when life is fine and all is as it should be, they really take no thought of God. 
Right? That he's not in their hearts and in their minds. He's not really a focus of their lives. But when bad things happen, when life gets hard, they turn to God and they seek Him for help, which is the proper response for the hard times that come into our life. But when the hard times end, their devotion to God goes back to what it once was. It goes back to God not being important and God not being a regular part of their life. Now, the sad fact is these sorts of views of God are almost as common within the church as they are outside of the church. Many American Christians today live as what one pastor referred to as Christian atheists. And a Christian atheist is someone who professes to believe in God, but lives as though God does not exist. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean they live Wicked, sinful lives. They can, but they don't have to. It simply means God and His will and His want for them, it bears no weight on their lives. When it comes to making a decision, the question is never what does God say or what does God want or what does the Bible say. The question is all about what's easiest. What do I want? What is the most pragmatic way to go about it? Virtually nothing in their lives is guided by God's will or God's want for their lives. For these people, the Bible is almost always seen as the inspired Word of God. And they would treat their Bibles with the utmost respect. And they probably keep their Bibles in places of honor in their homes. And if you were to ask them about a Bible, they could point to where it's at. They would take it down and they would tell you how they treasure the Bible. But they don't read their Bible. They don't apply their Bible. It's just a really little more than a good luck charm that sets up in a prominent place so they can say, look, we have a holy Bible in our home." But it bears no weight on their lives. For those people, their view of God's word is simply a reflection, is an extension of their attitude towards God. God's word bears no weight on their life because God bears no weight on their life. They don't take God's word seriously because they don't take God seriously. What I want to show you tonight is this is a dangerous attitude to have. And I want to show you Scripture should bear weight on our lives. So what I want you to do, we're not going to stand to read. We're just going to look at one verse tonight. And I want you to open your Bible to Jeremiah 10 and 1. And we're not going to do an in-depth study. I just want to read the first part of this. Then we're going to kind of go all over the place. But when you find... Jeremiah 10 and 1, I want you to kind of look up at me because I want to know when you have it. And here's what I want you to do when we get ready to read it. I want you to close your eyes and just listen to what Jeremiah 10 1 says. And the reason I want you to find this is because I want you to know this is coming from the Bible and it's not just an opinion or an idea or a thought that I may have had. Jeremiah 10 and 1. Hear ye the word which the Lord speaketh unto you. 
Hear ye the word which the Lord speaketh unto you. Jeremiah's message to Israel begins with those words. Hear ye the word which the Lord speaketh to you. Think about the weight of that sentence. Think about the weight of that statement. The word which the Lord speaks unto you. The Lord Himself speaking. The Lord Himself speaking to you. The Lord Himself speaking to me. I mean, that's that's weighty, right? Now, our theology as, as free will Baptists and as evangelical Christians says we believe the Bible is the Word of God. We say we believe when we read the Bible, we are reading the very words of God Himself. We say we believe when we read the Bible, it is the Word which the Lord speaks unto us. But does our treatment and our handling of the Word demonstrate what we profess to believe? When you look in Scripture, you find God and His Word are inseparable. God often tells us our view of Him is seen in our attitude toward His Word. God will say things like, you have despised Me. And what He's talking about is they have disobeyed His Word. And what I want us to understand, a key truth tonight, is we do not take God seriously if we do not take His Word seriously. We do not take God seriously if we do not take His Word seriously. Now we may want to push back against that. And that's very common to push back in our day. But there is no legitimate way to take Scripture seriously And reject this idea. The Bible is the Word of God. Part of what this means is, what the Bible says is what God says. So what the Bible says about morality is what God says about morality. What the Bible says about what's right is what God says about what is right. What the Bible says about what's wrong is what God says about what is wrong. And we, we cannot, we cannot walk with God, we cannot walk with Jesus while rejecting or disobeying His Word. Amos says, can two walk together except they be agreed? This is the way God is walking. This is the direction God is going. Everything it says here is what God is and what God is about and what God is going to do and what God has said. And the moment we say, well, I don't like that or I'm not going to do that or I can't live like that, we diverge from where God is going. We cannot walk with God while rejecting or disobeying His Word. I cannot walk with God and do something God has said I can't, he, he said I must not do. I cannot walk with God and refuse to do something God has said I must do. 
our response to Scripture demonstrates our commitment to God. Our view of God's Word reveals our view of God. We cannot, we do not take God seriously if we do not take His Word seriously. So what does it look like to take God's Word and thus God Himself seriously? Study God's Word vigorously. When someone is first saved, the Bible compares them to babes in Christ. I read that in in Peter before the start of church. And newborn believers need to be taught everything about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. They need to be taught things like, does everyone go to heaven? And if not, why not? And they need to be taught where in the Bible it might say something about that. They need to be taught to answer the question, did Jesus die for me? And if so, why? And they need to be taught where the Bible would say that. They need to be taught about whether or not church is important. And if so, why? And where does the Bible say that? They need to be taught what sin is. And if sin is a big deal. And if so, why and where does the Bible say that? And, And while that is the case for new believers, there must come a time where we as disciples of Jesus must learn to be able to answer those questions for ourselves. We must get to the place as disciples of Jesus where we study the Bible on our own and we find and we learn and we know the answers to those kind of questions and more. We must become self-feeders. Those who take God and His Word seriously study God's Word vigorously. They put in time and effort to study it. But this isn't just my opinion. Scripture says we are to study to show ourselves approved unto God, workmen that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the words of truth. Notice what it tells us. First, we're told to study And the word study carries with the idea of being diligent. One of my commentaries said the Greek word translated as study, it carries with it or it means to to make every effort to labor, to be diligent, to do one's best, to work hard, to endeavor, to give all diligence, to be zealous, to eagerly strive, to exert oneself, to make haste. Think about your personal study of God's Word. Can you, can I, can we say, when it comes to studying God's Word, we work hard at it? Now, this isn't just like for pastors. This is for disciples of Jesus. Can we say, when we study God's Word, we exert ourselves at it? Can we say, When we study God's Word, we give all diligence. That we're zealous at it. We should. Because that's what we're commanded to do. Second, we're called workers. Studying Scripture is work. We are to work hard at this. 
Third, we're called to be diligent workers regarding Scripture. Right? So it's not just working at any old thing. It's working hard at Scripture so that we can rightly divide it. Now, the idea of rightly divide it means so we can understand it and explain it. Right? So we are to make all diligence to work hard to study the Bible so we can properly understand it for the purpose of then sharing it with others. And listen, it takes hard work to properly understand Scripture. Because Scripture can be twisted. Scripture can be taken out of context. Scripture can be made to mean things it never actually meant. And that's easy. Anyone can do that. But it takes a devoted disciple of Jesus to put forth the effort to properly understand it. And it takes effort to be able to understand it well enough we can explain it to someone who doesn't understand it. Those who take God and His Word seriously, they don't just take the answers other people give to them. They go to the Bible and they study for their own answers. And they study hard and they work hard to make sure they understand it. And those who take God and His Word seriously study it to be sure they can understand it so that when someone else asks them a question, they can give a solid biblical answer to it. If someone comes to those who take God and His Word seriously and ask them, does everyone go to heaven? Those who take God seriously can say, no, no, everyone doesn't go to heaven. And when the follow up question is, is why not? Those who take God and his word seriously can say only those who repent of their sins and believe in Jesus will go to heaven. When the follow up question is, well, where does the Bible say that? Those who take God and his word seriously can go to John three, for instance, and they can say, you must be born again. And being born again happens when we believe on Jesus. And, and those who take God and His Word seriously can explain from John 3 about Jesus' love and His sacrifice. And those who believe in Him will not be condemned, but those who don't believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the Son of God. Those who take God's Word seriously can answer those questions with the Bible. Those who, who take God and His Word seriously can answer the question, did Jesus die for me? And say, absolutely, He did. And when the follow-up question is, why did Jesus have to die for me? Those who take God and His Word seriously can say, there's two sides to that. One is, you've sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. And Jesus came and he, he lived a perfect life that you didn't live, that I didn't live. And He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And, and that's why Jesus died. But He also died because He loves you. And He doesn't want you to face the wages of sin, which is death. He wants you to be born again. He wants you to be with Him now and for eternity. And the person says, well, where's that at in the Bible? Those who take God's word seriously can go to Romans 3.23 and show all have sinned. They can go to Romans 5 and 8 and say that God demonstrates His own love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. They can take you to Romans 
So the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You get the idea. Those who take God's word seriously put forth the effort to study and understand so they can explain. Now, lest we say it doesn't really happen like that. I remember years ago here in Guyman, there was a family who went to our school. And they were involved in the Kingdom Hall. And when we got to talking to them, to witness to them, we, we asked them why. Because they, they didn't come from a place where there was Jehovah's Witness. They came from a place where they had a, actually a Roman Catholic background. And they came to America and they began to get out in the public and interact with Christians. And they were looking for a church and so they said, why do you believe what you believe? What do you believe? And the Christians they talked to could tell them, we believe Jesus is the only way. And, and the dad would say, well, where does the Bible say that? And they couldn't give an answer. They, they couldn't take them to the Bible and say, here is where the Bible says Jesus is the only way. But one day someone came to their door who could answer their questions with what looked like the Bible to them. And it was the Jehovah's Witness out knocking doors. And they were led astray and down the wide path of destruction. Because not one Christian in any of their lives took God or His Word seriously enough to study the Word and be able to give an answer to them. How utterly tragic. How utterly tragic. When we take God and His Word seriously, we study to know what we believe and why we believe it, and we can find Scripture to back it up. But we do not take God seriously if we do not take His Word seriously. Secondly, study God's Word vigorously and submit to God's Word fearfully. Those who take God seriously Submit to His Word fearfully. Now the idea of submitting to God's Word fearfully can sound strange. But here's what Scripture says. God says, For those things hath my hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor in spirit, of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my Word. Trembles. At my word. I love that phrase. Do we tremble at God's word? What do we do when we come to the Bible, come to God's word? We read what it says and we see my life is out of sync with what God has said here. Do we rationalize it? Do we minimize it? Do we justify it? Or do we tremble at it? So let me give you some examples. Judge not that you be not judged. Now we all know this verse is taken out of context by many, unbelievers particularly. And it's taken to mean something it never meant. That being said, clearly Jesus meant something when He said it. Judging is a real thing. And it's a real thing Jesus said not to do. 
So are we judgmental? And if so, how do we respond when we act in a judgmental way? Do we rationalize it by saying that's just how we see the world? Do we minimize it by saying, well, at least we're not committing adultery? Do we justify it by making a joke? That's just how I am. That's the way I've always been. That's the way I'll always be. Or do we tremble at the fact we do something our Lord and Savior said not to do? Another passage says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. There's a lot there. Do we... Do we do things to cause strife? Make people mad? Poke the bear and get them all upset and irritated? Do we do other things so that people will look at us and say, look at how how great and how wonderful I am? Are we lowly in mind and, and esteem others as better than ourselves? Can you imagine esteeming Others as better than ourselves. Do we live a life solely focused upon us? Or do we look out for the things of others? And with this, as if that's not hard enough, just on the face of it. Let's keep in mind it. The primary context isn't in regard to our spouses and our children. I mean, it would apply there to be sure. But it's just... This is how you are at home, at church, on the job, at Walmart, at Cactus Jacks, at McDonald's, in Oklahoma City, in Red River. No matter where you go, this is how you're to be and act and live. That's really hard. Do we do it? And if we don't, what do we do when we don't? Do we rationalize it? Say, I'm just having fun by stirring up strife. Well, if I don't toot my own horn, nobody else will be. Well, if I if I don't look out for myself first, I'll just be a rug mat and everybody will run over me. Do we minimize it by pointing out the worst sins other people do? Do we justify it? By saying, again, it's just how we are. Or do we tremble the fact we're doing something our God has said not to do? And then one more and we'll move on. Therewith bless we God, even the Father. Therewith curse we men which are made into the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing my brethren. These things ought not so to be. Do we praise God one minute and then ruthlessly criticize people made in His image the next? We run them down. Does our mouth filled with blessing and cursing, and cursing there really isn't so much profanity. Again, it's referring to others. 
God is great, but this person made in his image is a worthless moron. Blessing and cursing. Do we do that? And if so, what do we do when we do it? Do we rationalize it? I mean, I'm only saying what's true. If they weren't a moron, I wouldn't call them a moron. Do we minimize it by saying, well, I only tell these things to Kelly. I mean, I don't put it on Facebook. I just tell Kelly what a moron this person is. Do we justify it by saying, I've heard them call people worse. And besides, look at what a moron they are. Or do we tremble at the fact we're doing God and His Word has said we ought not to do? Rationalizing, minimizing, and justifying sin and disobedience is not okay. Every time, every time, we rationalize our sin and our disobedience, we show we do not take God nor His Word seriously. Every time, We minimize the severity of our sin. We show we do not take God nor His Word seriously. Every time we justify our sin, we testify we do not take God or His Word seriously. We cannot ignore God's Word and claim God is central in our lives. We do not take God seriously if we do not take His Word seriously. And that means we must study God's Word vigorously, we must submit to God's Word fearfully, and we must obey God's Word passionately. God's Word is authoritative. And every time we read it, every time it's preached, every time it's taught, it speaks to us in an authoritative way demanding a response. Let me. This isn't one in my notes, so this doesn't count against my time. It just came to me right now. This was in my Bible reading just yesterday. You'd think I'd have remembered it in my sermon. But listen to how powerful God's Word is. Matthew 23. Then spake Jesus to the multitudes and to His disciples, saying, The scribes, And Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe. They do uh, observe. All therefore that they bid you to observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and they do not. Now think about what he's saying. Scribes and the Pharisees, they basically stink at life. The whole rest of the chapter is going to talk about how terrible they are. What religious, legalists, and hypocrites, and pretenders they are. But, when they say what the Word of God says, do it because it's the Word of God. The authority of the Word of God does not rest in the flawed person sharing it, but in the Word itself. I mean, that's that's strong. So the Word speaks to us with authority every time we come to it. And so we make a decision about it every time we come to it. We receive it or we reject it. We obey it or we disobey it. That's that's it. Right? I mean, we 
We can't negotiate with God. There's not another deal going. This is it. So we either submit to it or we bow up against it. We receive it and do it or we reject it. And disobey. The connection between God and His Word is such that our response to God's Word is a response to God Himself. When I reject God's Word, I'm rejecting God. When I disobey God's Word, I'm disobeying God. Jesus highlights this connection with very strong words. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? That's powerful. Why bother calling me Lord if you're not going to obey my commands? Not only does a lack of obedience to the word demonstrate a low view of God. But it is spiritually dangerous to us. James says be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. Every time we hear and don't heed. Every time we read and don't heed. We deceive ourselves. How do we deceive ourselves? We come up with a reason why this doesn't apply to us. Here's why it's okay for me to judge. Here's why I don't have to esteem others as better than myself. But see where these reasons we come up with, they're not actually real. Right? It's not like we say it and God's like, oh, I never thought about that. You have a past. Instead, what we do is we convince ourselves, we deceive ourselves about this. We say it and we say it until we believe it. And if pushed, somebody were to push us on it, we could get, here's the reason. Well, you see, here, here's why I'm judgmental. My mom and dad were very judgmental people and they were always very critical of me and it, it left a deep influence in my psyche. And so the only way I could kind of really cope with their their, their judginess towards me was to be judgy right back. And so that, that's why I do it. And guess what that is? That's self-deception. That's not valid in any way. We deceive ourselves. Anytime we read and don't heed, we hear and don't heed. And we come up with a reason why that's okay. And that reason is not, I'm just disobeying God. It is self-deception. And one self-deception leads to another self-deception, which leads to another self-deception. It is dangerous, spiritually dangerous to our lives to read without heeding, to hear without heeding. But it has more negative consequences. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today if you will hear His voice, harden not your hearts as in the day of provocation. In the day of temptation in the wilderness. Book of Hebrews, the author is quoting an Old Testament passage calling on people to keep them from turning from Jesus and going back to the law. And he quotes the, this passage and he says, The Holy Spirit is saying this to them. And the Holy Spirit is saying, Hear His voice. But notice He's not saying just hear. He wants them to do 
right? Because the whole context is in the days of provocation in the wilderness. What? How did they provoke God in the wilderness? God said, go into the promised land. And they said, oh, we can't. And God said, I'll give you manna. And they said, oh, but we want meat. And God said, speak to the rock and it'll give you water. And Moses said, I've got to smack it. So it wasn't just hearing. It was heeding. And when God speaks as He does through His Word, it brings us to that place of where we have to make a choice. Will I heed the Word? And if I don't, what do I have to do? I have to harden my own heart against God. Think about Pharaoh. Pharaoh. How many times did the Bible tell us Pharaoh hardened his heart against God? And what God was saying. Every time we hear and don't heed, the Spirit tugs at us to, to thou shalt or thou shalt not. And we get to that moment and we say, I'm not going to do what God has said. We harden our own hearts toward God and towards the things of God. Every time we resist and reject God's Word. We not only deceive ourselves, but we harden our own hearts toward God. And I believe with virtually everything I am, hearing without heeding and reading without heeding is what has led to God being weightless in our current culture. To many of those people, who God is weightless, who live as Christian atheists, they probably know certain things about the Bible. Now, they may not be able to flip into the Bible and show it to you. They've been to church. They were in Sunday school. They can give the Sunday school answers to many things. But all of that hearing did not lead to any heeding. Any reading they ever did, it never led to any heeding. And in so doing, they hardened their own hearts. To such an extent, we live in a day in which people will profess with their mouth they are born again children of God. And there will not be one shred of biblical evidence to demonstrate they have been born again, they have ever met Jesus in their lives, and yet they will stand and say, I'm saved. And if confronted in any way about the lack of fruit of their salvation, about the lack of following Jesus in their lives, about the lack of, of anything that would testify they even know Jesus, they respond by feeling victimized and judged by the one doing the confronting. And they leave feeling self-righteous and vindicated and still have zero concern over their soul or their eternal destiny. How is that possible? How can someone have zero biblical evidence of Jesus in their life? outside of a verbal profession, and feel safe and saved and righteous and holy when all of their life testifies they're not. How? They have deceived themselves. They have hardened their hearts. And they are so very lost in such a critical and dangerous place. 
They will live their lives never taking any thought to Jesus or to God or to His will. And they will also live their lives with no real concern over the state of their soul or where they'll spend eternity. How heart-wrenching. If we are going to be a people who claim to take God seriously, we must take His Word seriously. We cannot in any way legitimately claim to take God seriously if we do not give that same sort of seriousness and earnestness toward His Word. His Word. I'll close with this. Hear ye the Word which the Lord speaketh unto you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love You today. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Help us, O God, to examine our lives today and see our attitude towards Your Word. And Lord, where there is flippancy, where there is a dismissive attitude, where there is a lack of seriousness toward it, bring deep and abiding conviction into our lives. And Lord, help us to see. I mean, in that moment of crisis, make us to see we are choosing to harden our hearts. We are choosing to deceive ourselves. But Lord, don't let us. Keep our hearts tender toward You. Keep our hearts humble before You. Make us a people, Lord, that trembles at Your Word. And when we see we are out of sync with You, oh God, let it bother us. Let it bother us deeply. Guide us, oh God, to do Your will in all things we ask in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. Alright, we're just